Tree Huggers. Welcome back. Today, our topic of conversation is sleep. Hopefully, we won't put you to sleep while talking about sleep. I like your pun. Thanks. I like your style, Terry. All right. So, you ask, what in the world is a speech pathologist and an occupational therapist going to talk about? Oh, I have lots. Sleep. I feel like I have a lot to contribute. As a yes. speech and language pathologist. Yes, you're, you're going to wonder, mm. can you talk and you... It's not about sleepwalking or talking, right? <laughs> it's not about sleep talking. <laughs> it's definitely not. But there are some interesting factoids I'm going to throw your way. You might not even know you need us. Huh. Okay. Do you think? I don't know. Why oh. don't you get started? <laughs> I think I will. Okay. Well, you have this handy-dandy handout that in we're going to put in mm. its... I feel like your stuff might come first, especially in the bottom there. Oh, okay. Sure. We like to work in a hierarchy here. You know that. Terry has a really nice handout that we're going to put in the show notes. So if you want to download it first and follow along, you can feel free to do that, and I will superimpose my message on it as well. Very nice. <laughs> okay. So when we talk about sleep, sleep is very important for us to get for our overall health, for our ability to stay regulated and engage and learn and, and be a productive member of society, which is our end goal. So I already have something to superimpose. Of course. (laughs) She said regulation and health. And I just want to throw in that that what we're going to be talking about is balancing blood gases. Did you know that? Yes. You did know that. (laughs) She knew that. That was a trick question. We're going to be talking about balancing oxygen and carbon dioxide. That's that's my role. Go ahead, Tara. Sorry. Okay, very nice. So in the handout that we have, we've got a series of these handouts that kind of break down... uh, a topic like our topic of sleep into various factors, looking at person factors, meaning intrinsic things inside the body that we can work on, various things within the environment, and then for right now the occupation itself of sleeping. So let's get to the nitty gritty. I like that job mm. of sleeping. Yes, mm. it's a nice job. It is. Okay, it's a nice job when you can do it. Oh, if you can't sleep, it can be very frustrating. She brought it back to the podcast at hand. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. So when we think about sleep. As OTs here at Family Tree Therapies, one of the main things that we address is this concept of self-regulation. We've talked about brain in the palm of the hand. There's a beautiful handout that we have on that. Um, and about That's on the, the Kind and Firm podcast if you need to go back for that handout. Very nice. And, and about the body's ability to um, get out of this fight, flight, or freeze state. Because in actuality, in order to sleep, we have to be regulated. If we are in this chronic state of fight or flight, we have this excessive cortisol and stress hormones within our body, and that can actually interfere with our ability to to fall asleep and stay asleep. So one thing is addressing these underlying neurosensory motor reflexes that we do here at Family Tree Therapies. Now, for those of you that don't come to Family Tree, you can find a, a therapist who does work from this angle and or come on out and visit us. Mm-hmm. But let me give you some other additional functional kinds of things. Since not everybody that listens is in GR. That's true. Okay. One thing that I really like to talk about when it comes to sleep, when we're talking about these sort of intrinsic inside the person factors, has to do with health and nutrition. So a couple of really good things. It seems like common sense, but sometimes they're not. We want to make sure that we avoid certain things before bedtime. We want to avoid caffeine, sugar, and actually carbs. Um, When you eat carbs close to bed, what can happen is that they can lead to a spike in your blood sugar, but then that will lead to a subsequent drop and result in feelings of intense hunger that can sometimes wake kids up. So be mindful of what you are eating before bedtime. How much time would you say, Tara, you would give it? 
for cards? Well, a lot of parents like to give evening snacks. What mm-hmm. do you think is a reasonable window to say no eating, you know, two hours well, before bed, eat, hour before but bed? But protein. I would eat more protein. I would avoid highly fatty things and spicy things and liquids and carbs and have a protein snack, something that can sustain you throughout the night. Mm-hmm. If you're talking about carbs, I would at least an hour or two before bedtime. Mm-hmm. And maybe just the after dinner snack, like Terry said, doesn't have to have any of those mm-hmm. ingredients. They can be mm-hmm. fruits, vegetables, proteins. Mm-hmm. So we will get into some environmental modifications, but as we're down here talking about these intrinsic person factors, there are a few um, supplements and and things that you can consider. Now, as OTs, we're not allowed to prescribe these things. So if you're considering any of these things that we will talk about, I would suggest that you talk with your PCP or your naturopath to help you guide you along this process. However, there are a few things that are very common to help with sleep. Um, one of one of the things is actually magnesium. Mm-hmm. Magnesium is a mineral that's known as the great relaxer. One of the absolute best ways to get magnesium is through an Epsom salt bath. Mm, my fave. Mm-hmm. Because the magnesium is quite easily absorbed through the skin. So by having the magnesium within your system, it can help you fall asleep. Other things to consider would be vitamin D levels, uh, omega-3s, those essential fatty acids, your B vitamins, zinc, and potentially even some melatonin. Again, if you're going to consider any of those things, I would suggest that you do some research and talk with someone that you trust. Mm-hmm. Now, would you ever add, we don't have this on the list, but would you add essential oils in there? That is, that's up in the environment. Oh, look at me, not being aware of the oh, actual handout. Where's, where's the, what do you mean? Sense. Oh, it's in scents. She's mm-hmm. got it. She's getting there. I jumped ahead. It's a very nice transition. Let's let's jump let's, up. Let's talk about scents. Mm-hmm. Okay. Essential oils are really wonderful. Uh, now, we have to be cautious with essential oils. If you are going to use an essential oil, I would like... It doesn't matter what I would like. I would recommend. I think it would be best, but... <laughs> what would you, you like, Terry? This is your podcast. What would you like? I would recommend that you use a reputable company. Uh-huh. Um, I would say that dollar store essential oils probably would not be the best. They may have some chemicals in them that defeat the purpose of using the oil itself. Mm-hmm. Um, but essential oils, there's a variety of things that you can do with the essential oils. You can use a diffuser. You can put it in a little mister bottle and mist the pillow. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got some girlfriends that put it in a little roller bottle and it's their magic sleep potion. Mm-hmm. And it works very well. Uh, some scents that you can try, of course, would be lavender, uh, Roman chamomile, frankincense, vetiver. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Lime also is one of my kids' favorites. Oh, interesting. Very grounding for some reason. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily on the list. For... And there are quite a few different uh, essential oil blends, and it depends upon your company that you're using. But essential oils are definitely worth a look. And I think one of the biggest things with essential oils, too, people always wonder if there's a right concoction. You know, some people may not enjoy the smell of lavender at mm-hmm. all. So mm-hmm. if your kid doesn't mind the smell or finds it relaxing, I think that in and of itself is reason enough to use it. And like we said, there's a million safe ways to take it where you put it in a spray bottle or just roll it on your big toe or whatever, Mm -hmm. where it doesn't have to be overwhelming. Um, And you certainly don't take any of these internally. Be mindful of changes though. Uh, I can think of a family who shared a story with us once where the mom put an essential oil in the room and the son had outrageous nightmares. Mm. I don't mean to scare anyone, but she was using 
way too much. Yes. And she admitted it. <laughs> well, and I think that's a really important point, though, is that essential oils, although they seem seem rather benign, they mm-hmm. can have effects. I mean, the one that you listed on here, the vetiver, that has some um, really good positive results for kids with ADHD at times. Maybe not every single kid, but it can be powerful, and there can be some different changes. So don't underestimate the power of the essential oils. Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. All right. So moving on from our sense of smell, let's talk about our sense of touch and proprioception. Proprioception is just a fancy big word of knowing where your body is in space. As we talked about before, we need to be regulated before we go to bed. That can be regulated through, or we can help facilitate regulation through our skin, as well as through our sense of proprioception. So through our skin, we could do uh, a massage. You could use a lotion. Um... If, if that's comfortable for your child. A couple of other ideas would be the use of a weighted blanket. There are some wonderful weighted blankets out there now, more much more easily accessible than what they were even five years ago with the beauty of Amazon um, and our free shipping. There's a few different types of weighted blankets. I, there's a recommendation for weight Some kids like heavier than what it suggests. Some kids like it lighter. My main recommendation would be to just ensure that your child can get out from underneath the weighted blanket if Mm -hmm. they need to. Um, If you don't want to pay money for a weighted blanket, a couple of other things that you could try would be some heavy quilts. Um, They also, have you seen these? They make these new um, sensory compression blankets, which are actually almost like like our suspended lycra hammocks, and they wrap around the mattress, and they provide you with this level of resistance as you roll around and sleep. They look pretty fantastic. I have not heard of those yet. If you don't want to buy one of those, you could try a good old-fashioned sleeping bag. The use of a sleeping bag really helps to define your space. And for some of our kids, if if the bed is too open and they don't know where they are, that can be dysregulating. A sleeping bag kind of provides those boundaries for you. Mm -hmm. Um, Another thing that can help provide the boundaries is to have the bed up against a wall. And then if the bed is up against the wall, the child could be next to the wall and then you could try something like a, a long body pillow or something so that you've got the wall on one side and the pillow on the other. And again, that helps to define your space. Similar to the sensory compression blanket that I was talking about, you could just take the sheets and tuck those sheets right in real tight around the child. Perfect. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Some, thank you. Some people love it. Some people hate it. But for those that need additional input to know where they are, to feel regulated, to fall asleep, that could be something that's very helpful. I need freedom. Mm. I'm more like George Costanza, you know, the tight mm. tight sheets like in the, the hotel. I like the tight sheets. Oh, really? No. Interesting. No, can't have a grip. One leg out. Oh, no. Oh, one leg Toast out. Toast tucked in. Toast no. can't be cold. Gosh, one leg out for sure. All right. If we're talking about sheets, it's very interesting that a lot of our kiddos who have some sensory issues, who have tactile sensitivities, the texture and the material of the sheets themselves can either be helpful or even dysregulating. So play around. I'm not saying you have to go buy a thousand thread count sheets, but if your sheets pill up, that can be frustrating for some kids. Some kids love flannel. Some kids love satin. Play around with the various different textures. Okay. Are you guys bored of me talking or shall I carry on? I, I, I think you should just go ahead and finish the hierarchy and then we'll... I got a lot more people here. Oh, okay. okay. All right. Save some for me to have a ditty. Oh, okay. All right. Go ahead. <laughs> 
Uh, one thing is making sure that you have a very consistent bedtime routine. That can be helpful as well. Um, you could make a visual schedule. Shout out to our earlier podcast. Oh, shout out. Visual mm-hmm. schedules. How do you use them? Listen to the podcast. Listen to the podcast. Yeah. You didn't have to answer it. It was rhetorical. All right. Um, Things to include in your routine would be reading actual physical books before bed, not necessarily on a screen. Um, We talked about incorporating a warm bath before bed. We actually have how to read a book with a kid, too. That's actually a a shout out to another podcast. Previous podcast. Um, you could practice uh, writing in a journal before bed, doing some mindfulness. There's some really wonderful kid-friendly, kid-friendly meditation apps um, and or prayers, whatever works within what your family system does. Okay, real quick, I would like to talk about screens. Shout out to future upcoming podcasts. Future upcoming podcast <laughs> alert. Mm-hmm. However, when we talk about sleep, blue light and screens really mess with our system. The artificial light, especially blue light, suppresses the release of of melatonin. And that is that hormone that helps your body know when it's time to go to sleep and when it's time to wake up. So the blue light on screens, television screens, uh, tablets, phones, computers, can be so disruptive to sleep. So please take away those screens in addition to frequently the content on those screens being very rapid and and putting you into a state of fight or flight. Um, Now, if you are going to do a computer or a screen, say a couple of hours before bedtime, there are these really fun blue light blocking glasses that you can get. We'll put a link in the Mm -hmm. show notes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So those are very wonderful. You can also install um, nighttime filters on a lot of your apps. Uh, even within your bedroom, try to avoid having blue light in general. There's some fun light bulbs that we can use that are very warm. Um, there's like a sleepy baby nursery light bulb that's wonderful. And try to block out light in general because light does um, mess with our natural sleep cycle. Of course, if a child is fearful, it would be fine to have a nightlight. Mm-hmm. And I have one more recommendation along those lines, mm-hmm. and it's going to be the least favorite recommendation of the day. Uh-oh. Mom and Dad, you need to put down your screen yes. in the evening <laughs> because what you're modeling, they would want to enjoy as well. So mm-hmm. if you demonstrate that quiet time is quiet time and relaxation time requires no screens, they're going to be more likely to follow that model. Absolutely. Excellent. Mm-hmm. Oh, right. thank you. Mm-hmm. Okay. And uh, one more thing about about sort of vision and light and color is be mindful of the color of the walls of, within your bedroom. If you have very stimulating bright colors, that can actually um, interfere with the ability to fall asleep. And along that line, I'm not saying your bedroom has to be perfectly clean, but avoid clutter. Clutter and chaos can also interfere with the ability to fall asleep. Real quick, couple more things. Um, you may want to use a sound machine. There's mm-hmm. various things. There's white noise. There's waves um, that can help block out other sounds that can can trigger a startle response and wake kids up. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also some really interesting sounds out there uh, using this binaural beats, which helps to uh, create calming uh, rhythms. To, to help you fall asleep, um, that's listed on our handout. All right. Play around with the position of your bed. We talked earlier about the bed up against the wall. 
maybe the bed is too high. Maybe we want a canopy on the bed. Maybe there's a tent. Maybe you're sleeping on the floor. Sometimes if we have some gravitational insecurity, meaning I don't like my feet off the ground, just feeling up high in a bed can be dysregulating in and of itself. On to blood gases. <laughs> that is a lovely handout. Thank you. It's a really nicely done handout. We're going to have that for you along with a couple links to some of the products she mentioned that she likes. Not that we're selling any of these no. products and or we have no sponsors. In case no. you haven't noticed, it's just us. <laughs> so no shout outs to anybody. Just stuff we like. Except ourselves. Except ourselves, of course. And weird. Yeah. That's oh, weird. Okay. Okay. All right. So sleep talking. Is that what we're going to talk about? No. No. Not. We're not going to talk about it. So why would we be talking about it or, or care about speech pathology and sleep? And we're really going to be talking about an aspect of sleep that some people notice but don't know that we need to do something about, which is mouth breathing. Mm. Dun, dun, dun. So why is mouth breathing an issue and what is mouth breathing? What does it look like? So Shout out to a future podcast. (laughs) Shout out to a future podcast because this would be a lot of information. I'm just going to give the tip of the iceberg here. Mm -hmm. So the mouth breathing in and of itself is usually mouth doesn't have to be all the way open but slightly agape with the tongue forward position pressing a little bit on the dentition or the teeth and not necessarily being held in the mouth like it should shaping the palate. So you can have mouth breathing that's a habit, that you are just gotten into this habitual pattern, and then it's difficult to nasally breathe because your nose gets stuffy feeling or narrowed, if you will, because it swells a bit. Um, Or you can do it because you are stuffy or because you do have some kind of nasal blockage. If you've been given the clear that you can breathe nasally and there's no um, nothing physical stopping you from being able to nasally breathe, then we could work on closing those lips together and getting a neutral resting posture so that the tongue is resting in the appropriate place and the mouth is closed. So why is that such a big deal? So let's picture it. I'm going to actually post some pictures to the podcast notes so you can see what I'm talking about. But if you looked at your child and you thought, I don't know if they're mouth breathers, because most of the time when parents come in and I ask that question, the child could even be mouth breathing currently, mm-hmm. and they would say, no, no, mm-hmm. they don't breathe through their mouth. That's how subtle it is. So what you're looking for is you're looking for the dentition being pushed either slightly forward at the top, maybe has some extra spaces because the tongue has been pushing on the teeth a bit. And we're going to talk maybe future podcast about what a reverse swallow is. Um, the palate would be high and narrow. The chin would be, it's called retroagnathia, big long ooh, word for, ooh, I don't know what that means. Yeah, I know. It's the chin is just slightly retracted. Mm. So if you looked at the person from the side, the chin isn't necessarily symmetrical with the nose and the eyes. It's slightly retracted, which can affect their airway, um, putting a little bit of pressure and not having it quite so open. So you're also going to be looking for um, heavy snoring, dry mouth. They wake up in the morning and seem really tired, bags under their eyes. Difficulty with concentration, um, and the big one, there's a huge sign, which is excessive yawning or sighing. If you have a person or a kiddo or yourself, because you might be listening to this podcast and go, oh my gosh, mm. I mouth breathe. Mm-hmm. Holy ma- I see Terry right now is being very mindful of her lips being together. Mm-hmm. She's practiced. <laughs> She's no longer showing any teeth when she smiles. She's <laughs> nervous about my description. She's going to my mouth breathing. Is that why she's bringing this up? Yes. <laughs> I lost my train of thought. Yawning and sighing. Mm -hmm. What that means, and we were talking about blood gases, is that just the quick 101 is we have carbon dioxide and we have oxygen in our body. We need to maintain a certain level 
of oxygen and a certain level of carbon dioxide. We unfortunately sometimes are taught that we need to blow out all the carbon dioxide and take in all the good oxygen. But really it's that we need to keep a balance because CO2, carbon dioxide, acts as a bronchodilator. So it helps open up the airway, it stays, it's calming, and it goes back to that regulation that Terry was talking about. So when you have kiddos that are in that state of, here's a medical term that sounds scary, chronic hyperventilation, Mm. which means you're over-breathing or you're mouth-breathing, you're breathing too many times per minute, then what happens is we lose that carbon dioxide that acts as the regulator to our system, and then our oxygen can't be released to our muscles. You may have to rewind that and listen to that several times because it is a little bit confusing. However, there's another gas I want to talk about too, which is nitric oxide, and that is produced by an enzyme in your nasal passages. Did you know that? So when you skip the nose breathing and you just breathe through the mouth, you miss out on that nitric oxide, which really balances everything from your mitochondria just to your, your everything that ca- that's balanced and homeostatic in your body. Huh. Isn't that fascinating? It is very fascinating. So we need the nitric oxide to be released through our nasal passages. And what happens when your mouth is open is that your nose and your nasal passages will naturally swell to try to keep your body from losing too much more carbon dioxide. And then you get in this vicious cycle. So if your child is mouth breathing at night or during the day, I'm going to list some images of what you might see. And then, of course, seeing a speech pathologist mm-hmm. is the way that you would remedy that Mm -hmm. in terms of teaching a proper swallow pattern and we would work slowly no matter what the videos on youtube show you we would work slowly on learning how to be a nasal breather it's not an automatic Mm -hmm. thing it's very um upsetting to do it too quickly it can feel like you're choking Mm -hmm. a bit i I feel like terry's over here struggling with her lips together practicing oh she's not okay i'm I'm trying to remember i've got one more thing i forgot to say oh she's she's got waiting my turn she's waiting her turn okay so all (laughs) of that to say check your child for mouth breathing at night check them for excessive snoring and then watch uh during the day for their physical structures and i'll put some pictures online and you can check it against it if you have any questions of course you can reach out on facebook or a, a consultation call as well if you're not sure if that applies to you Go ahead, Tara. Excellent. Thank you so much. When you were talking about jaw position, it actually reminded me of one thing that I forgot to say, which is very important with regard to sleep, and that has to do with the neck position as you're sleeping. Mm. There Mm -hmm. is a a reflex that's called the moral reflex. It's one of the very first reflexes that actually helps with breathing, (gasps) helps you take in this first inhalation and, and primes the lungs, but it also has to do with fight or flight. And the neck tipping backwards just as much as, say, 15 degrees can trigger the moral reflex. Mm-hmm. And if this moral reflex is not fully integrated as it should be, the position of one's neck can potentially wake you up, mm-hmm. can trigger a moral reflex. Um, it could potentially trigger an ATNR reflex, which would be your head is turned towards the extended side. And both of those trigger different various uh, brainwave patterns that will wake you up. So what do you want? You want to be sleeping with just a slightest bit of chin tuck. Mm -hmm. And or if you're sleeping on your side, we want uh, you to be sleeping towards the flex side, your head turned and chin tucked towards a knee that's bent up and an arm that's bent up, not towards an extended side. Pay attention to if you wake up in the middle of the night, your position. Oftentimes it will be with your neck tipped backwards or your head turned towards a side that's straight. 
That's fascinating. It's very fascinating. And if those reflexes, that moral reflex causes you fear, how do you think you'd breathe? Mm. <gasps> Through your mouth. Mm-hmm. And you would mm-hmm. definitely over-breathe mm-hmm. because when you are in fear, that's that's what happens. We feel short of breath. And if your neck was tilted in that position physiologically, you also are narrowing your airway to the point where you might develop a compensation. By breathing through your mouth. It all goes together. See, you thought we were going to talk about talking in your sleep and walking. Mm -hmm. No. Different. Well, I hope that you found some helpful tips. Again, these handouts and links will be in the show notes. We will. And future podcasts will explain more. Explain all that. Yeah, this was a long one. We hope you enjoyed it, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.